Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, amen. I am so glad you're here. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope you get to enjoy some amazing quality time with your family, and I hope you don't have to go to work. Amen? Amen. Y'all need to be more excited about a day off than that. Just saying. Hey, listen, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen? If you believe that, some of y'all need to tell your face to get glad because it ain't that happy. It's a little discouraging for the preacher, I'm just telling you. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'm so proud of our families for being so faithful and teaching their children about Jesus, being faithful to the local church. I'm telling you, it demonstrates more than we know. It's more powerful than we think. There's something about the faithfulness of parents in bringing their children to church. Uh, It teaches them what's most important in their life. It teaches them long-term where they can find uh, uh, something to tether their life to. And so it's really important. I encourage you all to do that and teach your little boys and girls and bring them here and we'll help you with it. And so we're going to continue today in our uh, message on understanding wisdom. Because we are at an all-time low. We've literally lost our minds. Amen. Just this week, we saw what happened in Texas when a lunatic goes in and shot up a bunch of little boys and girls and teachers. And, and man, my heart breaks for them. And I know yours does as well. And so I do. I want to pause right now. I want you to join me. I want to lift up those families. Man, what, what a terrible thing for them to go through. It changes the, the rest of their life. So join me and let's pray for them. Uh, Father, we do lift up the tragedy that happened in Texas, the tra- tragedies around the world, those moments in time when we're just brokenhearted and we can't make sense of this thing called life and God we wonder where you're at in the midst of all that and God we lift up those families who have lost loved ones whether a little boy little girl maybe a a mother a father whoever's uh, been been lost in that tragedy God and we know where it comes from it was launched from the pits of hell and God in these moments, it's not a time where we question your existence or whether or not you're large and in charge. It is given and allowed from in your sovereignty, God, and we don't understand that and we don't have to like it, but it's given to us to remind us that evil is real and evil is in an, an everyday battle of attacking your kingdom and the objects of your affection, which is mankind, those created as image bearers of yours. And so God, right now, we lift up those families who are hurting, who are brokenhearted, who are struggling with it all right now, God. And we pray that you will surround them with people of faith who can invest love and and, uh, prayer into their life, God. And we pray above that, that your Holy Spirit will reach from heaven and surround them with a cloud of love and peace and and give them comfort in this difficult time. And God, we don't have to understand it to know, God, that you're still God and you love us. And we thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. And so obviously we live in a broken world. And obviously we've lost our minds. And God steps into the picture and he says, listen, if you want to navigate this broken world well, you are going to have to have some wisdom. And he's very serious about it. Now, the problem with that is often we think we have wisdom. And in fairness, we may really have wisdom, but we're going to learn today that there's two alternative wisdoms, and we have to be careful which one we walk in. And so on the back of your worship guide, your life guide today, 
I put a few passages on there, and I ask you, you probably like you, you didn't read it, but anyway, it says on there to mark which ones you think are Scripture. And so let's go through that thing for just a second, because the reason is sometimes we embrace ideas or philosophies, and, and we think it's scriptural, we think it's from God, and, and we think that's how I'm going to do my life. Okay, like this one, like this Scripture. Okay, cleanliness is next to godliness right we all know where to find that in the scripture it's not in there but sometimes we quote it like it is now what's the problem with that on the surface it sounds good God's clean so cleanliness must be next to godliness the problem of of that to dive in a little deeper it suggests you know what I can be a murderer a thief a liar and an adulterer but as long as I take a good shower on Saturday brush my teeth and make my bed it's the next best thing right No, wrong. It's totally wrong. And that's not wisdom. And the world is chock full of information that claims to be wisdom, and it's not wisdom from God. Now, we're going to learn today that we need to exercise caution in which realm of wisdom we operate in. And so here's the scripture, some of those on the back of your worship guide. Anger is never without a reason, but seldom with a good one. Now, we all know where to find that in the Bible, right? Actually, it's Ben Franklin. Okay, he said that, not even close. And then we have the next one, well done is better than well said. Well, obviously that's scripture, right? Somebody want to tell me where we find that? It's Ben Franklin, that's why you didn't know. Um, and then we see where, the, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. That would be Bible. Do you love life? Then do not squander time, for that is what life is made of. Ben Franklin. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Bible. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Ben or Bible. That would be Bible. Wealth is not having, is not having but in the enjoyment of it. Ben Franklin. Since uh, silence is not always a sign of wisdom, but babbling is an ever mark of folly. Scripture, right? No. Ben Franklin. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. That would be Bible. And the last one, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in hu- the humility that comes from wisdom. That is scripture, James chapter three, and that launches us into the second part of this message series called Understanding Wisdom. Now, last week, we looked at the, the foundation of the idea of wisdom and, and, how it, and why it is so important. We saw last week where the, the, uh, where the concept of attack upon wisdom comes from. It's launched as a critical theory in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against God cast to heaven he rises up again and and just there is a dimension of existence that you cannot see but it is as powerful as the wind which you cannot see it is as real and strong as gravity which we feel but we cannot see and it is a spiritual realm where there is a devil who leads it and demons who are fallen angels and they are out to get you. You are under attack as a child of God and as an image bearer. Now, God steps into that reality and he wants to make you aware of the need for wisdom. And so he invests five books of his eternal counsel called the Bible about wisdom for you. He gives us the book of Job, 
He gives us the book of Psalms. He gives us the book of Song of Solomon. He gives us the book of Ecclesiastes. And he gives us the book of, which one did I leave out? Proverbs. He gives us five books to help us know how to operate in the realm of godly wisdom. He doesn't stop there. In the New Testament, he chimes in on wisdom over and over again. James really dives into it. And he's going to help us today understand more about this thing called wisdom. Now, I am aware more than ever about our dire need for wisdom. I feel it in the church. I feel it in my home. I feel it in my family. I feel it in my friendships, and I feel it in my personal life. We need more wisdom. James steps up to the plate. He says, who among you has wisdom and understanding? It's a great question. I want to rephrase it. Who among you thinks you could use a little more wisdom and a little more understanding? I like your transparency. Some of y'all are awesome. Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me help you unpack that a little bit. What about a little more wisdom in our marriage? I know you all don't know it, don't need it, but you got friends who could use a little more wisdom in your marriage, right? Young people in your relationships, you need a little more wisdom? Yes, you do. We would all agree a little more wisdom would be better than a little less. But what about in our workplace or in our school? A little bit more wisdom to operate and to navigate through the things that come our way. Sure, we need more wisdom. But what about it with our finances, how to use them, how to be good stewards? We could use a little more. The truth is we could all use a little more wisdom. But I want you to know James is going to unpack today the idea that there's more than one kind of wisdom. There's a good wisdom and there's a bad wisdom. Both of them are real. Both of them are available for our taking. Both of them we can choose to operate in. The choice is ours. And so Charles Haddon Spurgeon who's arguably the greatest preacher post-apostle in the history of mankind. This is what he said. It's a great definition of wisdom. Because we learned last week, knowledge gets confused with wisdom sometimes. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the application of information. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's having information, but it's knowing how to apply that information in our life. He went on like he always did, and he says, there is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. He says, sometimes the more you know, if you don't know how to apply it, it just makes you a bigger fool. You ever know anybody like that? Man, they know all kinds of stuff, but they ain't got sense to get out of the rain, you know? No greater fool than a fool that's a knowing fool. James says, who in here has some wisdom? And so that's what we're gonna learn today. And I want you to know, if, if, if I ask you, and I did, who in here could use a little more wisdom? Most of you would agree, you do. You ready, you ready? It's available. It's available to you right now. Every moment of every day, wisdom is right out there waiting for you to ask for it to receive it, and to apply, to apply it to your life. Isn't that good to know? It is available. Listen, God placed it in the structure of his creative order. God placed wisdom like out there. You, 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 you don't go 
to Walmart and get you five pounds of wisdom. You don't go to the place that, I don't even like saying the name, Rural King. Who named that? Does anybody feel like you got marbles in your mouth and you're spitting on friends when you say Rural King? That's what I feel like. Like I've just come from the dentist, a Rural King. Okay? You can't get it at the Rural King. You can't get it uh, at Oscar's Cafe. Okay? You can't purchase it, but it's out there everywhere in God's creative order. It's out there. You say, well, that, that sounds a little fishy, Pastor. I just don't know about it. It's out there, and all you got to do is ask for it. No matter how old you are, how young you are, it's there. You got to ask for it. Watch this. Proverbs chapter 8. It says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the top of the prominent places along the way, at the intersection of the paths she has taken her stand, beside the gates opening into the city, at the entrance of the doorways, she cries out, to you, O people, I call out, says wisdom, and my voice calls out to all mankind. You who are naive, discern wisdom, and you fools, understand discernment. It's out there. I could show you a dozen passages that say the same thing. God put it in his creative order. It's out there to help us. Why? Because that whole dimension, the unseen that I mentioned earlier, you better believe God knows about it. And God knows what you need to walk in the midst of the attack of the ungodly. And so he provides it. You say, well, all you got to do is ask. That's what James told us in James 1.5. He says, if anyone, tell the person next to you, that includes you, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it generously and without grudging, and he'll give it. Isn't that cool? Some of y'all, most of y'all said you could use more wisdom. It's out there. All you got to do is get it. Just ask for it, and he'll give it to you. Now watch this. I can't really imagine how different the world would be. I can't really imagine how different our church family would be. I can't really imagine how different my marriage would be and my personal life would be if I simply had more of this wonderful thing called wisdom. And it's true for you. And I, and I want to encourage us all to ask for it, to pursue it, and then to walk in it and apply it. Now, in the Old Testament, this is how valuable it is. I want you to know, when wisdom comes into your life, it's a package. It doesn't travel alone. It brings blessings in different realms of your life. In the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, uh, David's son Solomon is getting ready to take over the throne. And God comes to him, and it's almost like a genie. He says, Solomon, tell me what it is, the one thing you want. Imagine, what if God came to you and just said, hey, tell me just one thing that you would really like to have. What would it be? Some of y'all thought well, a million bucks wouldn't be too bad. Okay, that would bring you like a million bits of trouble. Your friends would come out of the woodwork. Hadn't seen you in forever. I don't even know you. Okay? And, 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 and because we go to the wrong place. Solomon said, you've given me my father's kingdom. You've blessed his nation. You've provided riches. God, if you would just give me wisdom and the ability to make sound judgment, I would be happy. Second Chronicles 1 verse 11 
God speaks back to his request. Listen to what he says. He says, Solomon, because you desire this, and you did not ask for riches and wealth and honor, or for vengeance on your enemies, and because you did not ask for a long life, but you requested wisdom and discernment so you can make judicial decisions for my people over whom I have made you king. Verse 12, you are granted wisdom and discernment. You see that? Remember what James said? If any of you lacks it, ask for it, and he'll give it generously. It doesn't stop there. Watch this. He goes to verse 12. He says, so Solomon... You are granted wisdom and discernment. Furthermore, in addition to, I am giving you riches, wealth, and honor, surpassing that of any king before you. He says, if you want wisdom, if you will take up wisdom, he says, I'll bless your family, I'll bless your finances, I'll bless your future, I'll bless your fame. If you walk in wisdom and reach out and get what I'm offering, I'll bless your whole world. Isn't that good to know? And so for some of us, we said, yeah, I'll take a little bit more wisdom. That was a wise choice. You're already off and running. You ask for it, now you reach out and get it, and it'll bless your whole world. I'm not a prosperity preacher. In other words, if I blab it, I can grab it. You know, I, I don't, it's not that. You know, I can't change the whole world with my words. But I believe this. God says if you'll ask for it, you can have it. And that's what we're talking about. And I want you to learn to ask from God what he's already promised you can have. You realize that there's blessings untold in heaven waiting for those of us, his children, that would simply be obedient and ask for those blessings. There's blessings left on God's table that we never walk in simply because we're disobedient and we choose not to receive what he's given us. And so um, in the Bible, we learn much about uh, wisdom. First of all, let me say this. Wisdom uh, begins as a state of mind. It It begins by realizing God is God and we're not. It begins by posturing ourselves lowly before a God so high and lifted up. We learn in Proverbs 9:10, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord and acknowledge the Holy One. It is understanding to realize, man, He's great and I am not. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's a state of mind. We learn that wisdom is a shield of protection. Proverbs 4, 6 says, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. She's a, she builds a fortress around our life, a, a, a devoid of stupidity and foolish decisions. Wisdom next, it suppresses ignorance. Proverbs 12, 16 says, a fool's annoyance is known at once, but the prudent conceals dishonor. It overpowers folly and foolishness. Wisdom satisfies our soul. Most people are simply not content in life. We just can't seem to find that place where we're happy in life, like we're missing something, and we claim Christianity. Wisdom satisfies our soul. Proverbs 19:23 says, "Fearing the Lord leads to life, and one who does so will live satisfied." Does that sound good? Doesn't that sound appealing? Just satisfied, happy in our life. Wisdom steers 
our life. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise. In your own estimation, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so wisdom is a valuable commodity and scripture places a premium on the concept. It elevates it way above knowledge. Meanwhile, we're all about pursuing knowledge. And so James is going to dive in head first because he wants you and me and us as a church to understand the depth of wisdom that God offers to us. Now, first of all, in the back of your worship guide, point number one is this, the humility of wisdom. The humility of wisdom. James 3, verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? This is how you know if you're walking in wisdom. You ready? He says, by this good conduct, he should show his works done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. You want to know if you're operating in wisdom? It shows up and it shows off. You see, you don't have to say, boy, look at me. Have, have we talked about my wisdom lately? Have you been watching some of the stuff I'm doing here? I mean, I got it. The world's looking for it. Tell them to come see me because I got it. I got some extra. I got the overflow. I'm walking in the overflow of it. That's not what he says. He says it's in humility, in meekness, that we demonstrate wisdom by the things we do, by our actions. Now, we, we need to unpack that a little bit. First of all, he says our good conduct. That is in our actions. You want to know if you are walking in wisdom, it's shown by your actions. The Greek word is anastrophe. It means your conversation your general mode of life, your lifestyle, your decisions, and your priorities. The second thing he says, not only in your actions, your good conduct, in your accomplishments, the things that God allows you to achieve. The, he says to show it not only in good conduct, but in good works. If, when you go to college, you might learn about a word called ergonomics. It's the study of work. It's how you accomplish things. This Greek word comes from that. It's the eknemai ergon. It is to show, to reveal, to demonstrate actions, deeds, habits, and hobbies. It's your accomplishments. Now, he goes on and he says, but it's not just your actions and your accomplishments. It's how you handle those actions and accomplishments. The word he use here is, uses here is gentleness, meekness, and humility. The Greek word is prates. It means meek, mild, gentle, and kind. This is difficult in Western civilization. You see, in Western civilization, meek, mild, and gentle is soft and weak and defeated. That's how we view it in Western culture because we're very natural-minded. From God's perspective, meekness, gentleness, and humility is where power is found. Do you understand meek is not weak? Meek is power under control. In the Bible, God demonstrates this throughout Scripture. But one of the greatest ones is in the life of Moses. Moses was, didn't even really get started in his ministry till he's 80. <laughs> That's hope for me. I'm just getting trained right now. 
okay? Y'all are in trouble when I get 80. I'm going to be like part in the lake, okay? Big stuff happens post 80 for somebody who loves Jesus. So Moses now is in his 80s, and he, God parts the sea. God reveals the commandments in a burning bush. Here's an old guy who stands before the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh himself, and says, God said, uh, let the people go. I mean, this is who it is. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. That's pretty cool. You didn't do that. It's pretty powerful, right? Listen to what Scripture says about Moses. Moses was the strongest 80-year-old man who walked on the planet. It didn't say that. I made that up. Moses was the most educated man who walked. No, he didn't say that. Listen, you ready? Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble and very meek, more, more so than any man on the face of the earth. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? One of the most powerful human beings, short of Jesus, made the greatest impact on religious culture and a nation who still exists today, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. He says he was the most humble, meek man who ever walked on the planet. That's pretty crazy. And that's not what we pursue. Meanwhile, it is exactly what we should be after. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus chimes in about humility or meekness. He says, blessed are the meek. Why? They will inherit the earth. Tell the person next to you, you need a fresh dose of humility. And that's from God. That's not from your spouse or your friend. It sounded like it was, and they may have thought it was, but it's not. It's from God. We all need a fresh dose of humility. Now, how do we know if we're walking in humility? How do we know? We ask ourselves a question. When I look at my life, do I see self-indulgence, self-consumption, self-ambition, self-promotion, jealousy, pride, bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness? If so, I'm not operating in humility and meekness. Do I see, on the other hand, holiness, unselfishness, gentleness, kindness, humility, and meekness in my life? then that's how we're operating and pleasing to God. Now, here's what's beautiful about it. You remember, as we've walked through the book of James, he's given us a series of tests, you remember? He says, uh, have you given your life to Jesus as a bondservant? Are you enslaved to Jesus? Is he your master and you're his slave? Or is he the boss and, and you're the subject? <clears throat> and then he goes on, he says, are you finding joy in your tribulations, in your troubles? And then he goes on, he says, are you finding victories over temptation? And then he goes on, he said, is, is your life on the outside a demonstration in works of the faith that you have on the inside? And then he goes on, he says, how about the tongue? Are you managing that little beast? Well, listen to me, all of those hinge on our level of wisdom. You see, none of those happen if we don't have wisdom to give victory in those areas. James is amazing, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. This is a powerful thing. Wisdom changes every dimension, every part of our life. And so when we have, when we have wisdom, it doesn't, have you ever known somebody that they just were so uh, 
spiritual. Everything was, I mean, they're so heavenly focused that they, they're not really any earthly good. You know, it's like they live in the clouds, you know. Excuse me, I'm going to float over to another cloud. You know, I mean, it, it, they're pious and proud and, and just spiritual. You, you, you know anybody like that? Now, sometimes it's real and sometimes you can smell it. It just puts off an odor, you know. That's not what the humility of wisdom is. It doesn't look like that. You, I don't have to tell you how much wisdom I have. It should show up in my life. And that's what James is driving home. Now, there's a humility of wisdom. Now James is going to unpack the two varieties of wisdom. Two varieties of wisdom. And the first one is the one that most of us have. And we've, we know we have it, but we really didn't know from where it came. The first one I'm going to call hell up wisdom. Hell up wisdom. It's that whole critical theory where the devil raises up against everything God created and he wants to destroy it, tear, tear it apart, and build it back like he wants it. It's a hell up wisdom. And some of us have wisdom, but it's a hell up wisdom. It's not what God desires for our life. Listen how James describes it. First, he gives us the description of hell up wisdom. In verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and tell lies against the truth this is the wisdom that hell raises up in our life now let's unpack that a little bit when he says bitter jealousy the greek word is zelos it means a passion on behalf of something a rivalry an aspiration generating from the sense of being wronged and then he goes on, he says, selfish ambition. The Greek word is arethia. It means a feud, to feud or faction, to be disobedient, to be contentious, to have a political sway or an agenda. And he says, it develops in your hearts and you boast about it and you begin to fabricate a story or tell lies against it simply because you don't like the story. Wow. We ever know anybody like that? Did you look in the mirror this morning when you were brushing your teeth? Sometimes we all play that part. Politicians do it. They say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. They don't do anything. The opposite of boasting is to testify. Moving from I did, I did, I will, I will, to God did, God did, he will, he will. God often tries to protect us from ourselves and our desire, flesh desire, to rise up in every situ situation and to operate in a hell-up wisdom. John 17 says it this way. He says, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, okay? Now, that's hard. And so to paint a picture of it, it's like a boat. A boat, is when it's in the water, is very valuable, it stays on top of the water. It protects and keeps dry the, the items and the passengers inside. But when the boat begins to take water on the inside, it's no longer just in the water. It becomes of the water. And a boat that becomes of the water begins to sink. And it destroys and damages those that it was designed to protect. And that's the way our life is. When we are... In, 
are in, not just in the world, but of the world. We are operating in a hell up wisdom. Now, you say, well, how do you know this is a hell up wisdom? How do I know this is just not some kind of not good wisdom? He goes on, he says in verse 15, you ready? He says, James says, such wisdom. He's talking about wisdom, right? Says it right there, can't argue with that. The word is Sophia. We get our word sophisticated. He, he says, such wisdom does not come from above. He says, it is part, uh, it goes on, he says, but it is earthly, natural, what's the next word? Demonic. Hell up wisdom. Man, he shines lights on it. He formulates good plans. He articulates this wonderful vision statement. And meanwhile, it is the opposite of what God wants in our lives. It is a hell up wisdom. Now, it doesn't come from above. It's not heavenly. So he describes what it is. Now, what, is, what does it mean to be earthly? It means to, be, to have a worldly view. And this world is not our home, church. If you're born again, this is not your home. You've been rescued from this place. This is the world. The world is, is, is the devil's domain. Now, God limits him in his control, but this is his world. Adam and Eve gave over the title deed to this earth and everything in it in the garden of failure. And so one day Jesus makes that all right and he defeats the enemy and this is his world again and we'll live here for a thousand years in peace and harmony. But until then, this is a fallen world and this wisdom comes from the world system. And then he goes on, he said it's natural, it's sensual, it, 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 it develops from our feelings and, and, how, and our emotions and how we process things. But then he says this, where does all of it come from? From Satan himself, hell up wisdom is, is, is developed and initiated and provided from Satan himself. He says it's demonic. It comes from the sphere of demonic influences. Let me just tell you, if you don't know, the devil's real. If God is real, the devil is real because God tells us about himself and he tells us about the devil. And if you wonder if demons are real in your life, uh, aiming at you, targeting you, hating on you, creating havoc for you, you need to wake up and look around. You turn on the news and you look at Russia and you look at Texas, that's as far as you have to go. It's a demonstration of the reality of a de demonic sphere that wants to get us to operate in this hell of wisdom. John MacArthur, one of my heroes, He's been preaching for 50 years, and he's in his 80s, and he still does it, and he didn't mess stuff up too bad. This is what he says about this passage. <clears throat> he says, people who possess false wisdom, or what I call hell-up wisdom, have their own world. It is a self-formed world. It is a self-focused world. It is a bitterly jealous attitude that they convey toward everyone who threatens their little world. They are resentful of anyone who threatens their territory, who threatens their accomplishments, who threatens their reputation, who threatens to crowd their little slice of the world. Human wisdom then is self-focused and any self-focused person has a tremendous problem with bitter jealousy. Meanwhile, James said, whatever wisdom you possess, it's gonna show. And this is where most people live. Now, hell of wisdom 
And the next one, heaven down wisdom, is really a demonstration more of a head knowledge. It's a heart condition. You see, when you're born again, when the Holy Spirit of God invites you into his forever family, he has to do a heart change. He doesn't change or adjust a valve. He didn't put your little piglet valve in there because yours wasn't working good. He didn't cut you open and put a bypass in there. He doesn't put a stent in there. <laughs> he cracks your chest cavity, busts you open, pulls out the stony heart, and puts a heart of flesh in there. It's a transplant. And when a real transplant takes place within you, it changes you. It doesn't mean you're perfect now, but you're on the journey to perfection. And it means you care in those moments when you're not perfect. It takes a heart transplant. So in the Bible, God gives examples of people who operated in hell up wisdom. It's everywhere. I just want to give you a few. Adam and Eve, they had access to God's wisdom. They had access to God's presence. They had access to um, the truth. But Satan shows up and all, offered an alternative view. And Adam and Eve see the information. And you know what they said? They said, this looks good to eat. This is attractive to my eyes. And they says, this will make us wise. This will give us a new level of wisdom. And it did. A hell up wisdom. Now, they bought the lie. They, off, they operated in hell up wisdom. And they would defend their position. God comes, he says, what is this you've done? And Adam says, naked woman, hand him an apple. What's a guy supposed to do? Eve says, crafty serpent, he tricked me, right? They would defend it. We, this is why we were pursuing wisdom. You, you turn the page of your Bible, just a couple of pages. You run into Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel. Cain, who is a farmer, Abel, who is a herdsman. Abel takes the best of his flock and sacrifices it before God, and God honors him. He's pleased with him. Cain is enraged with jealousy, murders his brother, and defends his position because he bought the lie that his parents bought that this hell-up wisdom must be the right wisdom. You keep going. You find Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery because his brothers are envious and jealous of him. You spin the timetable forward. You find out that even Jesus in Matthew 27, 18 says, Jesus knew that it was because of envy that they gave him over to be crucified. This hell up wisdom. You see, in Proverbs 14, 12, it drives a stake in this wisdom that's fleshly, earthly, and demonic. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It's a big deal, and it's real. And you and I, if we're not careful, we walk around in it. We put it on and wear it and don't even recognize it because we're unfamiliar with the reality of these two uh, different varieties of wisdom hell up wisdom is earthly natural and demonic it is initiated by our natural man state it does not come from our new born again state it may look real it may feel real but it is a fake 
and a counterfeit, counterfeit sent from the father of lies. So what's the damage of you and me practicing and operating in this hell up wisdom? The damage of hell up wisdom is found in verse 16. He says where, where this is, when this happens, when you and I are in it and we don't even know it, it says for where there is jealousy and selfishness, as he described in verse 14, there is disorder and every evil practice. That's what it looks like. Have you had anything in your life where it was confusing unstable, unruly, and disorderly? Have you had any season or moment or thing in your life that seemed to be wicked or vile? That's what hell of wisdom generates. Now watch this. It's confession time. Anybody had any of that in your life? It doesn't have to be yesterday, but you know what I'm talking about. You know what that looks like? Let's see a show of hands. Are you, everybody look around. The ones that's got their hands up, they survived. The ones who didn't raise their hand, we need to pray for them because theirs is coming. We all have it. We all know what it looks like. And sometimes we're the one that generated it because we operated in a hell up wisdom and thought we were operating in good wisdom all the time. Listen to this. this, this I was writing, this came out. The glory of God is never its aim, and the good of others is never the result. Did you get it? The glory of God is never its aim, and the good of others is never the result. This is hell up wisdom. Man, no, 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 no. This is beautiful. The Bible does this. He kind of paints this picture like, good land. How am I supposed to survive in this? I don't know if I can handle it. God doesn't leave us hanging on a negative note. There's always the rest of God's story. Now James is going to give it to us. This is heaven down wisdom. This is the good wisdom. This is the wisdom that will change your life. This is the wisdom that will impact the lives of others around you. This is the wisdom that will call down God's power in your life. Heaven down wisdom. He says, verse 17, but on the other hand, I got another one. He says, the wisdom from above, heaven down wisdom. He says, he says, this wisdom is the alternative. It's not supposed to be the alternative. This wisdom, heaven down, is supposed to be the norm. This is the one that God put out there, you remember, for us just to look for and to ask for. It is available for us. The instruction of heaven down wisdom is always, always, always designed and aligned with the word of God. You, if you wonder, where is this, am, I, am I making a wise choice? Is this a heaven down wisdom choice or, or am I making a hell up wisdom choice? Look in scripture. Scripture will never go against itself. If you're wondering, scripture will tell you. If what you're feeling aligns with scripture, there's a good chance you're operating in heaven down wisdom. Heaven down wisdom will never lead you astray. It will never move you further from God. It will never disappoint you in the end because her motives are always good and her aim is always godly. It's good stuff. 
And meanwhile, it's the one we choose less than the other. So now he's going to tell us a description of heavenly wisdom in our life. He said it is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. And the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. Do you notice how different that was? It didn't sound anything like that other hell up wisdom. This is good stuff. This is the stuff that God is made of. This is the stuff he wants us to have in our life. He says it's pure. When you look up these words in the Greek and you, you look at the words, the other words that's used for them, this is what it sounds like. Heaven down wisdom, it says it's pure. It's generated from a godly perspective. It pursues holiness. It invites righteousness. It is without blemish. It is modest and it is blameless. Then he gives the word peaceable. It avoids conflict at all cost in humility. It's gentle. It considers others. It cares for others. It's fair and reasonable. And the one I hate, patient. Then he goes on to the next one and he says, it's accommodating. It has a teachable spirit. It's compliant to the demands of God and his word. And it's full of mercy not only forgiving others, but walking alongside those others to help make sure things are right. And then it completes itself with good fruit. And it's perpetual, Scripture says. Fruit produces fruit, produces fruit. What fruit? Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, partial. It's decisive and consistent. And then it's not hypocritical. It's always sincere never fabricated and always authentic. So how do we get there from here? How do we get off of this path onto the path we're supposed to be? How do we eliminate the practice of operating in hell up wisdom and get to this place where we make choices that are heaven down wisdom? If you've ever been into, in a big city, I remember going to New Jersey uh, to scope out a place for a mission trip. And if you've never been to New Jersey, stay home. Went to New Jersey and I got off the, the uh, airplane. I made it to the rental car place and I got a car. I'm pulling out of the airport onto about eight lanes of highway, jam-packed with cars. Signs everywhere. This was before GPS, you know, where the little woman is telling you, <laughs> re reconfiguring, <laughs> you know. And I had to get all the way over there. And I mean, I, I, I'm bowing up. I'm like, and I'm, I don't mind driving. I'm aggressive. And I've, I'm thinking, how am I going to get over there? And so I'm sitting there, I said, God, if I'm supposed to go over there, you're going to have to let it happen. I did what a smart spiritual man would do. I stomped it and just turned. That's what you do. Had my blinker on. That tells the world, coming over, okay? Everybody's blowing their horns at me, giving me the number one sign. Everybody they, that representing, I'm representing Tennessee well, okay? Now here's the thing. All of us come to a place where we're at this place and we know we need to be on that lane. And for the life of me, I don't know how to do that. Are you ready? 
That's it. You simply pause, you pray, and you stomp it, and you go. Rather than getting stuck, just go to the lane you're supposed to be in. Start operating in heaven down wisdom. Why? Because it's out there, everywhere. And all we have to do is ask for it. And he gives generously, without judgment, like only God can do. So I made these notes in Proverbs. I was thinking, so, so what, what do I do if I want to get it? I can pause at every situation, Proverbs 12, 16. I can pray regularly about wisdom, James 1, 5. I can prioritize others over self, James 3.17. I can position myself with other wise people, Proverbs 13.20. And so I go back to the original question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who could use a little more wisdom in your life? All of us. There's no exceptions. There's no exemptions. I can stand here boldly and say, you and you and you and you and you and me, we all could use a little more heaven down wisdom. Why? Because there's a day coming when hell will sharpen his arrows and hell will fine tune his sights because the devil hates you if you're a child of God. I know it's true. I feel it. I feel it as a husband. I feel it as a father. I feel it as a grandfather. I feel it as a pastor. I feel it as a child of God. You know why? Because I should. Because if I don't feel it, it's because I'm swimming in the same direction as the enemy. But when we bow up and say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not operating in that realm anymore. Enough is enough. I'm pushing back. You better believe you will feel it. You better believe it. So when we get to that place, man, and he just starts bombarding us, man, and we feel the attack, we find ourselves at another crossroad like sitting on the interstate <clears throat> where knowledge says, this is awful. Knowledge says, if you just soften your approach a little bit, conform a little bit more, stop surrendering to Jesus every day, stop preaching Jesus lifted up every Sunday. If you just back it down just a little bit, call the truth a truth and a lie a lie, call heaven real and hell hot, you stop doing that, the enemy knowledge says it's going to soften up a little bit. Knowledge says I can do other things than preach. I, I could get out of this and go do something that's lucrative and a little less aggressive against the enemy, right? I could just wave my little white flag of surrender. Knowledge says I could do that. Wisdom says, because it's out there, we just got to ask for it. Wisdom says, you don't want to do that. Wisdom says, it's time for you to plant your feet, stiffen your spine, get yourself ready bow up a little harder, punch a little quicker, all right? It, wisdom says, if you walk away now, you are, you are denying God the victory that he's already put in place, headed in your direction. Wisdom says, I ain't gonna let that happen. So how do we get there? How do we keep ourselves in that place? The word of the living, loving God. What I just said I didn't make that up. I, I think that. 
sometimes. I get hammered. Not like some people get hammered. Different kind of hammer. Where I think about this stuff and the enemy's just on me, right? And then these verses just kind of phew, come up. Psalm 46.1, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give me a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Psalm 138.3, when I called God, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. Psalm 16.8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock. He alone is my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord more than anything else. They are afraid of evil tidings. They're not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady, and they will not be afraid. Church, I want to tell you something. There's a heaven-down wisdom out there in God's creative order, and it's inviting you one by one to step into it and say, God, I'll take some, and we all need some more of it because there's a hell-up wisdom that's bombarding our lives with opportunities full of lies, and we get to make the choice. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. On this very morning, Hell up wisdom speaks into the hearts and into the minds of some of us gathered today and says, you know what? You're a good person. You've done more good things than you have bad things. And God would take you into heaven if you were to leave this world today or Jesus was to return. Hell up wisdom says, you know, you go to church, you give some money. You've been in church for a long time. You said a little prayer. Everything's good. You're on your way to heaven when you die. Meanwhile, heaven down wisdom cries out and says do you have a relationship with God through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus his son because if not you're hell bound not heaven bound heaven down wisdom says I love you right where you are I love you just who you are but I love you way too much to leave you right there. I'm inviting you into my forever family. That's what heaven down wisdom cries. Maybe you're here today and you feel God inviting you into his family. It's a wonderful thing. How do you respond to that? Heaven down wisdom. You simply say, God, I get it. I never got it before, I guess, but in this moment, I feel your Holy Spirit inviting me to your family. I know I'm a sinner, and now I realize you know it too. So God, I'm giving all of my sin to you. I confess who I am, but I repent. I want to leave this day walking in a different direction than the way I came. God, I want to receive Jesus' grace gift into my life. 
I want you to be the master of my life from this day forward. Save me today in Jesus' name. And others of us, we just realize, man, I'm a Christian. And I've squandered my life. I haven't been living for King Jesus. He died on a cross to demonstrate his forever love for me. And I'm living like I'm the one in charge. Heaven down wisdom says, God, forgive me. Help me live sold out for you from this day forward. I want to give you my life again. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, God, that we get to hear about wisdom and we learn things that we maybe didn't know before. Maybe we're just reminded of the, of the power of, of the rest of the story. If there's someone here today that wants to or has chosen to follow Jesus and give their life to him for salvation, I pray, God, you would give them strength and courage to do that. Your Holy Spirit will just empower them. And for the rest of us, God, it's an opportunity to, re, to realign our lives with you and to start practicing every day, every decision, heaven-down wisdom in our lives and in our world. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it because by ourselves we don't bring anything to the table, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed to receive Christ, really important, on the back of your life guide, there's a connection card. Please, please, please put your name on there your phone number or email address, a way to contact you, and just put on there, I got saved today. We just want to pray for you. We want to reach out to you, give you some tools to help you on your new journey. And maybe today uh, you just gave your life fresh. There's something about making a physical commitment. And, and one way you can do that is here in just a minute, in the privacy of your own seat, in the prayer of your heart, it's just recommit yourself to God. Because it is Memorial Day weekend and we're remembering those who have given all to provide us freedom and we do that of the people who have been in the armed forces and man I love me some United States of America and I love those I love the military and the police force who daily put themselves on the line for us and for those that have died to provide and protect our freedoms I'm a, I'm a fan, man. They're my heroes. I don't hide from that. But there's one thing that I'm more excited about than the United States of America. And that is that I am a part of the forever family of God. I'm an American citizen, but I'm a child of God. And I'm not a child of God because I'm good. I'm not a child of God because I was born a child of God. I was born like you, a child of the devil. It's what scripture says. But somewhere on the journey, never get over it. God reached down and said, I want you to be with me. I want you to be on my team. <laughs> Why? Why would you want this on your team? Because I made you, I formed you, I fashioned you, I planned you, I purposed you. Just like I want you to be, you're on my team. And I received that. And so today, we do what Scripture tells us to do, and that is we, take an, we practice an ordinance called communion. Communion, like baptism, it's not saving, doesn't provide any salvation. It's a demonstration, a picture of our relationship. And in communion, we remember the greatest sacrifice for the greatest freedom. 
that's ever been offered to this planet. It is when Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, gave his life on a cross to provide freedom from the greatest bondage that's ever existed. And that is the bondage of sin's curse eternally into death in a place called hell. Jesus offered deliverance from all of that. And so in Scripture, we read this about communion, that about 2,000 years ago, Jesus and his disciples gathered together on the night before he was crucified. And Paul later writes this about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and then drink of the cup. And he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick, and some have died or asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. What Paul's saying is when we take communion, it's a sacred time. It's, it's a time to remember the amazing gift of sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so for just a minute while Don plays, I just want you to pray. God, if there's anything that's not right between me and you, cleanse me of it. Bring awareness to my heart. And help me be re have a repentant spirit that I would walk away. And then in about a minute, we're going to play a video. During the video, if you want to take communion with us, you're invited. I want you to come and the deacons will be standing at these three tables. And they'll give you your bread and your juice to which you'll return back to your seat. And then I'll give you some more instruction. Is that clear enough? Let's pray. as we come to you this morning we thank you we remember God I'm thankful I have something to remember because I know what you did for me we want to remember what you did for all of us 2,000 years ago upon that bloody brutal cross thank you God for sending Jesus to rescue us from us and as we take this bread and this juice, God, help us be mindful of all that you've done to the place that it alters our steps, that we choose to walk in heavenly wisdom, living for you obediently, trying to satisfy your desires in our life, and help us never squander the great gift of grace that we are remembering on this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.